The following message is from Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. I asked this question a few years ago in a previous message, but I thought it was relevant for the message today, and so I thought I would ask it again. And it's simply the question, what is ICC? What is ICC? What I'm asking is, in its most essential identity, how would you define our church? What makes ICC, ICC? Is it an idea? Is it an idea? In other words, is it at its core a ministry philosophy or a mission statement? And in that sense, it really doesn't matter who the particular members of ICC are in any given season of our church because in this framework, people are just kind of like interchangeable parts. What matters is the mission, the philosophy. It's the particular way of doing church that makes it ICC. Well, I hope that ICC is not just an idea, no matter how great that idea might be. Well, then is it an event At the heart of ICC, is it basically a weekly worship service like we're doing today? I think the truth is there were definitely times during this pandemic where it felt like ICC was nothing more than an event, wasn't there? During that long time of lockdown where basically we couldn't gather together. And it felt like church was watching a video in your living room. That was church for many months. And you know, the truth is, being on staff at this church and seeing how much time and effort we put into the production of a Sunday service, it is really tempting to think that actually a really big part of ICC is an event, is the Sunday worship. I mean, even without the pandemic, I think the sad truth is that for many Christians, really the only experience of church is limited to a couple hours every Sunday. That is church to them. Well, I would argue that church must be more than an event that we attend. Well, is ICC a leader? As a lead pastor of this church, that particular perspective makes me very uncomfortable. I think, sadly, too many churches today are driven by a cult of personality, a charismatic leader who is able to draw the crowds And so you can say that the pastor is the brand. The pastor is the franchise, like Michael Jordan was the Bulls in the 90s, right? And in that scenario too, maybe you could say the members are not actually all that important. It's the leader that really matters. He's the one that's going to make this church happen. And you can almost say wherever the pastor goes, he can just replicate that church anywhere. And the sad truth is there have been some celebrity pastors that have done that who have been kicked out of their churches and just moved to a different city and just redid whatever they were doing before. Well, I pray to God that church is more than just a leader. Well, if it isn't an idea and if it isn't an event and if it's more than a leader, then what is the essential identity of any local church, including ICC? Well, if you look in the Bible, I would argue that what the Bible says is that a church is a God-created community. It's a God-created community. The people are the church. 
Whenever the Bible talks about the church, it never refers to a building or an event. The concept of going to church, that terminology is non-existent in the New Testament. The people are the church. ICC is all of you who have been brought together by the Holy Spirit to share life together as one family under Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul gives this beautiful description of the church in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I've shared on this passage numerous times, and I always point out that what Paul is saying is that the cross offers us not only peace with God, but also peace with one another. And he did this by offering us an entirely new identity, that is no longer defined by our ethnic background, our nationality, our likes and our hobbies, our personality, our income level. What he's saying is, you are now a child of God. And when you are all recognizing that you are children of God, then what is happening is that you come together as a family of God. When we are saved, God gives us a new family. And that's an amazing and awesome thing. That we are a family in Jesus in this room. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what Paul means when he says one new humanity. It is now an entirely new way of seeing each other and seeing myself. And to say that this is the unity that God has done in our midst. But the Bible also says this. Each of us has a part to play in the unity of this new community created under Jesus. Because later in the letter, in chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. What Paul is saying is this, that unity is not automatic. Every effort must be made to maintain the unity that God has created. And what Paul is saying is, Each of us has a role to play in making the church be what it was intended to be. I shared this scenario in a past message as well. And it's actually one of the illustrations that I've used in a previous sermon that I've received the most feedback from. People have told me that it has stuck in their head for years afterward. Because if you could just show this next slide, I ask myself, with whom do I feel a stronger connection? The guy on the left is a middle-aged, college-educated, Asian-American professional who plays pickleball and enjoys cooking and photography. But he is an avowed atheist. And the guy on the right is a truck driver from Wisconsin who dropped out of high school and likes fishing and deer hunting and is a huge Green Bay Packers fan. But he loves the Lord. Who do I identify with more when I meet these two men? Well, the Bible tells me that because of Jesus, 
I have infinitely more in common with that truck driver than I do with that Asian professional. He is my brother in Christ. We are family. <laughs> and that isn't easy, is it? That's not easy. Because our old ways of looking at ourselves and looking at others doesn't change overnight. And it wasn't easy for the early church either. They had a lot of problems figuring this out. Peter received this vision in which the sheet comes down from heaven and on it are all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. And then as the sheet descends, God tells him in this vision, go and eat. Eat everything. And Peter is utterly repulsed. He's disgusted. And he says, never, God. I do not eat that which is unclean. Because there were clean and unclean animals for the Israelites. But then God tells him in this vision, don't you dare call unclean what I have made clean. Everything is clean. Eat it all. And right after that vision, Peter begins to witness to Gentiles, to non-Jews, and sees them coming to Jesus. But not only that, he begins to fellowship with them and he begins to eat with them. And very likely what the New Testament scholars tell us is that that means he began to break the kosher laws and eat forbidden foods to the Jews. Because that's what you have to do when you eat with Gentiles. As Scott McKnight puts it, Peter was probably eating baby back ribs and shrimp scampi, okay? And if you don't get that joke, it's because Jews cannot eat pork or shrimp. And this clearly bothered other Jewish Christians who saw what Peter was doing. And they said, Peter, that's messed up, man. You can't do that. You can't eat with these Gentiles. Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And this criticism really seems to have rattled Peter. And he began to second-guess what he was doing. And then he even reversed course. And he began separating and pulling away from the Gentile believers. And then he even began to force them to follow Jewish customs. And so Paul confronts Peter when they're in Antioch together. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, when Cephas, which is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul points out to, that Peter's refusal to eat with these Gentile brothers is not a minor issue. It is a gospel issue. It is a gospel issue. And I think what Paul was trying to say through this confrontation with Peter is that the cross represented not only our reconciliation with God, but with one another. And the church was to represent that unity. 
regardless of our background, where we come from. And so by refusing to eat with these Gentile believers and even enforcing them to conform to these Jewish customs, he was violating the very heart of the gospel message. And under Peter's leadership, even men like Barnabas were being led astray to the point where eventually the church became divided. And there were Jewish kosher Christians, and then there were Gentile non-kosher Christians, and it became a divided church. Scott McKnight, in his commentary in Galatians, writes, When the others got involved, there developed a social rift in the churches in Galatia, a Gentile group and a Jewish group. This was intolerable for one who believed that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There was now, in effect, two churches, a kosher church and a Gentile church. The symbolic rupture of dissociating from fellowship with the Gentiles by not eating with them was severe, too severe for Paul, and he set out to correct those in the wrong. Because this is what Paul says at the closing of his letter to Galatians in chapter 6, verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. The new creation. In other words, this call to love and accept everyone in the church, regardless of their background, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their financial status, is not a minor issue. It's the heart of the gospel. And Paul was concerned that Peter's Behavior was symbolizing a pulling away from the reality that the church was to be a new creation under Jesus. We all now have new identities. It's not about Jew or Greek, Korean, Chinese, Caucasian, Indian, whatever. It is simply that we are sons and daughters of God and that we come together as a single family. Jesus died for this new creation And so we must honor what God has done in that work. And so as I close my message right now, I simply want to challenge you with that question again. What about ICC? Who are we as a church? What are the boundary markers that we've erected in our community that divide us, that make people feel different than us because I think we have them too. The truth is I see that struggle happening right now at ICC. I think this pandemic has made it harder as well. I think there are some in our church that have been at ICC for over a decade. You're kind of the OG, right, the original gangsters of ICC or even those who came pre-pandemic and have been worshiping For a number of years. And then the truth is, we kind of looked at this statistically, but like, I think like 40% of you sitting here right now have started coming to ICC during the pandemic. It's crazy. And everyone's kind of feeling each other out and saying, I don't know if I really even feel that good about you being here, you know? I don't know if I really even care to get to know you. And I think. There are a lot of struggles ethnically, right? We kind of look at each other and say, well, gee, you know, and who is the majority and who is the minority? I think right now there's just no doubt about it. Koreans are the majority here at ICC. Actually, very interestingly, it wasn't that way when ICC started. When ICC started, it was 70% Filipino. And now it's like 70% Korean. And that's a struggle 
even a struggle between the Korean-speaking Koreans and the um, English-speaking Korean-Americans, right? And you can cut it up all of these different ways, but what it has ultimately led us to is to sort of fold our arms and look at each other and say, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about you. And I think when we look at what is happening here, we have to realize this is not a preference issue. This is not a can't we just all get along issue. This is a gospel issue. The church cannot be the church if this is how we behave. There has to be something beyond just the fact that we come together once a week to sit under one roof and worship together. As I think we look at this example of Peter, I don't doubt that he continued to worship with these Gentile believers. I think he showed up every Lord's Day for a resurrection celebration. He just stopped breaking bread with them. He wouldn't go to their homes anymore. He wouldn't eat with them. I think right now, the community of ICC is really strained. I think a lot of relationships are strained. And I think if we're really honest, a lot of you are struggling saying, do I really feel at home here? Does it really feel like family? And I think this year has to be a rebuilding year, a rebuilding of the community life of our church that has been so strained under this pandemic. And I think every one of us has a part to play. When we're talking about breaking bread, it's more than just showing up Sunday at 11.30 and spending an hour and a half with each other. It's inviting one another into each other's lives and saying, I want to break bread with you. Tim Keller comments on this. He says, we politely sit by those other people, quote, in church, but we don't eat with them. We won't really become friends with them. We won't socialize with them, sharing our lives and homes and things with them. We will keep relationships formal and see them at official church meetings only. It's a sad commentary on the church today, isn't it? Yeah, this is fine to be together for an hour on the weekend. But will we really open our door to the other person and say, why don't you come on over after church? And, you know, it's, no one wants to cook on a Sunday afternoon, but we'll just pick up some food and we'll just get to know each other better over a nice meal at my house or at a restaurant even. I think it takes that kind of intentional effort to be able to become the kind of family of God that God wills us to be. That includes not just the adult congregation, but even with Catalyst. We have gone from 20 to 60 to like 100 youth almost overnight. It's insane. And so even as I talk to the youth, I think all of you guys feel that same way, right? Feeling each other out and trying to get a sense of who everyone is. It's exciting to see some changes already happening in Catalyst. And I'm, I'm getting the sense that there are some walls that are breaking down. And some of you are really taking ownership of the youth group ministry. But I just want to encourage you, keep leaning into that. I want to ask every one of you as a church, because here's my worry. You could hear this message, and my worry is that you fold your arms and say, amen to that, brother. Like, this church is messed up. And I don't know, and I've been here for like six months. I don't know, man. No one's invited me to their house. I, I, I hear that pain. I, I'm not trying to be flippant here. But, but what I'm trying to say is this. Rather than feeling victimized by this message, 
I want to say if the spirit of God is in you, then you can take the initiative as well. And some of you have said, I tried. I did it. And I want to say this. Keep trying. Lean into it. You say hi to someone and they just give you a stare. That happens to me. And I'm the pastor of this church. Okay? <laughs> and I say, did you, did you not hear me? I, I said hi. And is it because the mask and you have a quiet voice? And I could get all up in arms and go, well, forget you. <laughs> and this church is unfriendly. Don't give up and lean into it because this is a spirit-driven unity that comes if the spirit of God is in you, then you have a part to play in making this happen. That's my challenge to us as a church this year. Let us embrace that and lean into that. Let's pray.